Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Head of Sports Science and First Team Fitness Coach at Southampton Football Club, Alec Gross. Thanks for tuning in to episode 312 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So absolutely delighted to get Alec on for a part two, four, five, maybe six years after he appeared in episode 96 of the podcast. So a lot's changed at Southampton, different managers have come and gone uh, at the club, but it's great to get Alec on because one thing that I haven't really chatted about with anyone, which is quite ironic given the size of the impact it's had on sport, but is actually how clubs and institutions have dealt with COVID and dealt with the impact of players not being on site. So it's something we discuss at length in the first part of this chat with Alec. Then we discuss something that uh, that is hot on everyone's mind at the minute, it's definitely on everyone's mind, and that is uh, speed training in team sports. And it was a presentation that Alec and Matt, another coach at Southampton, gave for Altis. So we touch on that, and then we finish off with a bit of a reflection from Alec on what universities can do better to prepare coaches for uh, for futures in elite sport. So a really interesting episode coming up with Alec that I'm sure you'll absolutely love. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics, the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can I mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by I Measure You. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. iMeasureU, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about iMeasureU, head over to their website, iMeasureU.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at iMeasureU. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So this evening, I'm delighted to welcome Alec Gross. So welcome back to the podcast, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me back. It's been a long time, hasn't it? It has, I think. I can't, when was it? It'd be five years ago. Yeah, I think I think I contacted now. You, you put like the, the beginning of the football season, you always like put up my old one and some of the things <laughs> I'm thinking, Jesus, not rolling that back out again. <laughs> I don't even think any of that's true anymore. So yeah, I think I have to do another one. Yeah, no, 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 dive straight back into the archive. I like to I like to put them back out, but then I was actually pulling some bits of audio together and I went back and I listened to myself and go, oh my God, why do I keep regurgitating these? These should be gone. These should be, yeah, lock, under lock and key somewhere. But it's good to get you back on and, and, do, a, um, yeah. and do a recap. So... I know people can listen because they can get your background and stuff from the old one, but let's refresh yeah. it to make sure no one ever listens to the to me as of before last week. So a bit of background on you, and if anything's changed, obviously lots of changed at the club and changed and changed and changed again. Yeah. But yeah, a bit of background on you, mate. 
All right then. Um, so uh, my current job. So I'm head of sports science, um, first team fitness coach at Southampton. Um, it's kind of like a dual role, really. So I'm a, an employed member of staff with a club. Um, so one half of my role is is overseeing sort of the strategic implementation of sports science strength and conditioning across the club. Uh, so that's academy, girls and women's and first team. Um, and then sort of in addition to that, my day-to-day job is working with with Ralph and his team and first team coaches in, in planning, organising and delivering that, that first team uh, schedule and first team training and match programme. So it's it's a dual role, really. Uh, I really enjoy it. It, gets, it allows me to... So obviously still coach and still deal with players, but also look at that management side and, and keep keep me refreshed and gives me energy going on a or not at the minute, but I'll go on a Friday afternoon and watching my, my junior academy coaches working with under nines and, and seeing sort of James Grant and the excellent stuff he does with the, the girls and women's teams in the evening. So it's it affords me that flexibility within a role to to sort of keep enthused as well. Um so I've been here for just over seven years. Um so I started off uh, lead academy, uh, and then got my my current role sort of five years ago. Worked with a couple of coaches in that time. Coaches have come and gone, um, players have come and gone, um, but we've got a real good uh, a real good system here. We've got really good staff, good people, good support from above, which I know is a, a frequent um, gripe that people have uh, on podcasts and on Twitter and social media. But we're really fortunate that that we're supported sort of a board level in terms of allowing us to do our role with managers as they come and go um, and do our best to support them so hopefully we'll be as successful as possible. Um, we've also got Matt Jarvis who's come in the last few years as sort of head of performance who's done a real good job. I'll, I'll touch on that a little bit later on when we talk about some of the COVID stuff. Um, so before that, I guess my, my beginnings, humble beginnings, um, so I did my undergrad at, at Leeds Met and I think that's probably changed its name more times than I've had managers. Uh, what is it now? Leeds, Leeds Beckett's Leeds... Leeds Beckett, I think, yeah. Leeds Beckett, we're on with that. Um, so uh, I did my undergrad there, did my master's there. Um, so I went straight on to do a master's. Um, again, that's that's a bone of contention whether they're worth doing or not doing at the minute. Um, we'll come back to that as well. <laughs> um, so did my master's straight off the bat and did an internship with Leeds Rhinos as, as part of that. Again, internships and not getting paid. Top of everyone's list at the minute, um, and then I was fortunate enough to to be offered a full time role off the back of that. So I stayed there for five years um, during a pretty successful time. Again, worked with some really good coaches and players and staff, and some of the stuff uh, like Tony Smith, who, who I was fortunate, he was a head coach in my first full time role. Um, I still think about some of the stuff that he did, and he's one of the best coaches that I've worked with. So some of the learnings from that. Um, and then, uh, as with all people in professional sport, I lost my job. Um, I was unemployed for 14 months, so I was uh, labouring and putting up marquees and doing corporate team build events and random bits and bobs. Yeah, and then I started at um, Southampton in the academy. Uh, oh no, I missed one out. I started lecturing after that. Harbury. Harbury, yeah. So yes. I was doing. I did a bit of part time at Leeds Met, and then I got a full time job lecturing at, at Harbury down uh, down in Gloucester. Um, I was there for 18 months sort of delivering on their strength and conditioning programs, um, some applied physiology uh, programs, some employability stuff. Um, really good, really good place to teach because it's it's a place that, that teaches people to coach. Um, I'm actually, uh, rather than teaching people to research, which is, um, that's not my area of expertise or interest, um, so it was a really good place for me to be. Um, and then I, I fortunately got a role at Southampton sort of um, seven years ago, so, and I'm still there now. Touchwood. Was it always the plan to go from academy to first team, or were you thinking that you'd be a, as Des Ryan would call it, a, a lifelong academy coach? No, if I'm if I'm being frank, it's it, it it was having been in first team sport originally. Um, it was a a way back into sport. That's the is the way I pitched it. Um, that being said, I was pretty upfront and clear about that when I came in. Um, but I did have that experience of, of leading people, leading others, writing programs, writing strategies that, that I'd had before. So I was probably quite handy in that in that area. Um, also, having worked in education and players of a similar age, sort of 18, 19, 20, obviously I'm working with players where I was lecturing people of that similar age. I sort of had the, the, the other skills that I needed to work with people of that age. But I always wanted to get back in, in first team whilst I, I 
like I say, I enjoy being around the academies. It's not my area of expertise. I, I'm fortunate that I'm surrounded by uh, Sam Scott and, and his crew that are, are absolutely brilliant. Um, but I was, I wanted to get back in the first team just, and again, it's not the Twitter brigade is, I want the tracksuit and the initials. I, I enjoy the pressure. I enjoy the week to week. I enjoy trying to deal with problems real quickly. Um, and that probably is more apparent in a first team setting than an academy setting. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, compl- I completely get that. How important has it been to keep that coaching thread throughout? Because obviously the further you go up, the traditional, I suppose, thought process is that how you go up, the less coaching you're going to do. Yeah. But it sounds like you've got that thread running through, which I guess has been pretty important for you longevity-wise. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty fortunate in that regard that I get to, to, to double up on both. And I know not a lot of people get to do that. Um, like you say, they get the typical routes you get you're typically reasonable at your job otherwise you don't hang around too long and then you're good at one thing which might be dealing with players and, and coaching and then you get stuck in an office writing uh, post-it notes on a wall and strategies um, which again is a, is a skill set in itself and, and getting people and staff motivated to do that which is something I'm working on um, but yeah it gives me at the minute it's something that I really enjoy doing I enjoy that energy of the players whether we win, lose or draw and, and trying to turn that energy around Um and being on pitch is something that I enjoy and I'm aware that it's probably going to last for forever um, so I'm going to enjoy it whilst it does last and uh, and work on that other skill set whilst whilst that's going on really. Where do you go for your your own education when it comes to that strategy side or is that something that you've just developed from your lecturing and from your Leeds work, work up in Leeds? Yeah, I think it's, it's an ongoing... Something comes naturally? Um... I think it, it. I'm quite logical and methodical in how I think, so that it. it um, I would say it comes easy to me from that regard, but for myself, I think the fit I found difficult is is taking other people with you. Like, it's, it's if you're like, I would be probably classed as introvert and quite serious um, by some people, um, not others. Um, but it's like in my own mind, I'm quite good at, at thinking and writing things down and process. But I think that that emotional side and getting people's buy-in and getting people to come with you is something that I need to work on. Um, Mark Jarvis, who, who works with us at the minute, is, is really good at that. We've got a fella called uh, Brunchy and Brunchweiler who's, who's uh, works with our coaching staff. Um, again, he's someone who's, who's really good at strategy and, and management and leadership. So those two I've worked quite closely with the last two years in, in trying to refine that element. Um, but there's other bits and bobs where there's, there's loads of stuff out there and there's loads of stuff and, and books and social media and the internet. And it's just, I think the the key to it is having all those resources, whether it be people, whether it be reading on social media, but then just affording yourself a little bit of time to try and digest and form them thoughts into something worthwhile rather than going with the wind and changing your mind when you read something different. So I think having all that information is good, but having some time just to consider that and, and, uh, consider where you think things are important and that's ever changing like uh, well, our strategy last year or my strategy last year was probably uprooted uh, around March time um, and that needed to change um, but I think the, having that in the first instance and, and having that sort of cornerstone of what you think is important allows you to be flexible and agile as things change which they do in, in professional sport all the time so I think it's, it is important to have that in the background of of things to, to keep reverting back to. That brings on nicely to the March, April, May, June mayhem. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going through, as probably everyone is, the All or Nothing documentary, the Tottenham one. And obviously last night, so whenever it got released, was when it hit. Yeah. And obviously just the, the melee that it was, the confusion amongst the players, the confusion amongst the staff, confusion amongst everyone, of course. Yeah. How did you guys, at that point, deal with things? and try to get things in place for the worst case scenario, which is probably what actually happened in the end. Yeah. I think the, I mean, the first case we were, we kind of got an inkling. We played West Ham the week before and, and that was when we had, it was more of a, the emphasis on, at the time, I think the government uh, were just on about washing hands and it was a bit like, it's probably not, it's probably not putting it at the minute, fellas. Yeah. Um, um, so during that week, there was a little like things going in other countries, and obviously we've got players from all around the globe. So they were saying, "Oh, in our country we're doing this. Why aren't we doing this? In our country we're doing this. Why aren't we doing this?" And and that and that in itself was was quite an interesting scenario to be in. Um, and then we found out on the morning of we were we just set up for match prep actually, 
so normally we'd go out, set up, we have the meeting, go out and train, and we had Norwich away. Uh, anyway, we're just about to go out and we get called through from uh, from the chief exec. Yeah, it's it's off. Um, and at that point, it was for three weeks. So uh, I think throughout it was quite it was it was really fortunate that things were only ever put off by quite a small period of time. It allowed us to maintain quite a small focus. All right, what do we need to do for this period of time? Whereas if, if originally, if they said you aren't playing for four months or five months, I think that would have been a little bit more difficult from my side and my staff side to program, but also from the players' side to keep engaged. Yeah, I thought that may have been the other way. That you may, like, at least we know what's happening, but obviously not. Nah, I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's difficult. Um, it's always hard to compare between two things when you've only got of one, one of them to be. <laughs> yeah. But I think our yeah. thing was, essentially, we got, so straight away, off the bat, we got, uh, I, was, I turned delivery driver for a day with some of the other staff, so we are just dropping off uh, sort of like uh, what bikes, um, a little like gym equipment that we could spread out around ourselves, um, and then deliver that to the houses of the players. Um, and then we we had a sort of a three day period where we just gave them some stuff to do at home, real basic from our off season program, just to buy ourselves a little bit more time. Um, so give them three days um, of that, and then we we sort of got a little bit more time. Um, to structure our support around them. In the end, um, we ended up having like a little pod-based system where we had six players, split a squad into groups of six players, and we had uh, one of my types, sort of fitness, SNC, sports science, whatever you want to call them, uh, physio, um, soft tissue, uh, and then a member of the coaching staff and a member of the psychology team. So in that in that little pod, um, just so it's easy to manage. So we had smaller groups to manage um, in terms of their training at the end at the beginning of each day we just contact the players some would want a phone call some would just want a whatsapp some would have to ring so they got out of bed um, <laughs> uh, they get their, their session um, through through an online program so we use team builder um, I'm not sure if they're one of your sponsors yet Rob or if I can not yet compete <laughs> I'm joking compete with one of them um, but we, we use team builder uh, we found it really easy to use um, so they, they program through that and uh, then at the end of the day, just a little catch up. Players put put stuff on there. Um, it's good. It's got a little leaderboard and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then at the end of each day, so we had pod captains or people that were leading that group, and we just catch up. How's everyone getting on? Any issues that we need to come across? Um, and then obviously within that, our um, sort of so my my members of staff, we would talk about what this week's training needs to look like. All right, then working with, with the medical guys, what do we need to do pre-post to support that? Where are individual needs within that program? And then make sure that everyone's clear across their players. So whilst I didn't have Prowse in my group, like I might hold a piece of information that's important for Prowse's program. Have we shared that across ourselves and then that feeds back into the group? So it, it was just found a, well, a couple of reasons why. Um, firstly, it's... it's it's easier to do to manage a smaller group. Everyone knows that rather than um, me trying to turn to a, a group of 24. I think there's also an acknowledgement that we got really, like I've, I mentioned it a few times, but we got really good staff here. Um, and if it was just me that was delivering it, then or Steve Wright just delivering it from a medical perspective, that would be a disservice to our staff and the players as well. So we, we needed to make sure that the expertise was around it. Um, and then within that, there's there's also elements of, of fun. So we like, did videos of different challenges, different cooking things and, and stuff through that WhatsApp group. So that was in terms of structure, how we did it. Um, in terms of what they did, like I said earlier, because we only ever had a three-week block, um, we could we could continue to work. We work in a three-week cycle anyway, like our, our general loading partners on a three-week cycle. So we could go, all right, three weeks, we're doing this. At this point, we can review it. And then as it happened, it'd be another three weeks. We ended up, there was a period where they gave us six weeks. All right, we'll have them, we'll give them, uh, 10 days off and then we'll build it back up again um, but all through that and again it's as I said before we, I'm pretty fortunate we got support from from up on high so in addition to those conversations I was fortunate to have phone calls probably daily it was daily actually with uh, our senior managers and board of directors so they were obviously having communications with um, with the Premier League so they were giving updates on, on when we might be coming back so when we come back what might training look like uh, playing look like um, things like when we come back, basically it was, oh, you, you might have, or you're more than likely going to have three weeks of training before you go into the first game and your first week might have three games. So that gave us a, all right, if 
that's what that looks like. We've got three weeks of football. How do we mean to make sure that we're we're maintaining that level of training at home that when they come back, like, again, it's something, I'll throw it in there because this will get some fun, but we, we, we use acute chronic to program some of our training rather than reduce injuries. I know. <laughs> I'll be getting some angry Australians on Twitter again. Um, but it works for us. Um, so we, we just use that. Otherwise, you, you kind of piss in the wind a bit, like you don't know where you're going. So we, we knew that we were going to be playing three games a week. All right, what does that look like? We had three weeks of football before that. What does that look like? What do we need to do at home and supplement in order to, to make sure we train? So that's basically how we how we programmed it. And that came down to, to sort of different running exercises, um, a little bit of bike stuff and where we could some strength work. Um, the one thing that, like, whilst it went well, the one thing that we kind of missed off and we had a few issues when we came back was kicking. Like during lockdown, during our period of lockdown anyway, lads weren't allowed out. You could go to the park with someone else to kick a ball. So whilst we're doing block tackling against a Swiss ball and some banded stuff, it's just not the same. Um, and uh, we had like, not, nothing serious, but we had a couple of quad, quad related issues when we came back around kicking. And that was something in hindsight that, that we, we could have done better on. But it was one of the ones if you're in a flat in Ocean Village in Southampton and you've got a balcony, you're going to struggle doing some kicking, but um, so yeah, yes, that's pretty much how we programmed it um, and packaged our supporting around that. And as as we got towards the back end, we, we've gone more towards pitch based stuff, more high speed running based stuff, more of our pitch based practices here. Things like getting them in boots early, so they won trainers for three months. All right, how do we get them in boots? Because last thing we need is two days in, someone's missing a day's training because they've got a massive blister on the back. So just kind of things and that was a Steve Wright one of our, our head of medical he, he came up with that one so just things like that that, that work quite well um, so yeah that's that's kind of how we, how we dealt with it from from that perspective and the players did really well like we, they they attacked it they like I say it was a short we gave them short blocks um, we gave them something with an element of competition each day um, we had videos from the manager from the director from uh, from the chief exec that like about why it's important to keep going like we're going to be back playing soon like reinforcing that message that he's coming like normally around the times when like if it was in the media or the government or oh, there's no chance of football coming back we need to get back on them straight away with we can't be like that like we need to be behaving like it's going to start next week um, so the the players uh, did a whilst the staff were brilliant like the staff were really good the players got to take some credit for for doing the running and, and getting up and I mean let's be honest they don't have anything else to do either but <laughs> they stay at home all day um, we actually got people running when they didn't have to they actually found a love for running whereas normally you get grief for, for despite the fact they play a running base sport they're not always massive fans of running so yeah we got some people into it and they, they took accountability for what they're doing they became a lot of them came more independent um, so yeah it was it worked out quite well in fairness one, one positive Obviously, there's there's a long list of negatives of the, of the whole situation. But was one positive the communication that you had with the senior management of the club? Is that one positive that you could potentially take from this and the interaction you've had with them, the interaction the players have had with them, the interaction the staff, and actually yeah. feeling like you've you're pulling together in the same direction, which I guess is what these kind of things do. Yeah, I think that's I think that's one like one of the massive benefits of that. Uh, of this period is, is that element you get a bit of uh, football and football clubs are surrounded by loads of paraphernalia and, and loads of stuff and it was it got to that point where like you got you narrowed down that numbers you narrowed down the intent of what you were doing and it was quite nice um, so yeah it, it brought people together uh, again we've got pretty good communication with our directors anyway and our board so it's it, that, that, not, that wasn't necessarily a massive change I'd say what was a change is there was a like there was a genuine togetherness between departments across departments to get the job done and like not just science and medicine and coaching analysis psychology you've got the chefs like our security staff were unbelievable in terms of like tomorrow this is what the setup needs to be like we need to have barriers we need to have this this is who's coming and when um, you need to hold the cars at the door while we get temperature the chronic one at a time. Um, operations we got marquee set up so players we weren't allowed to change inside so they got their own little bit outside it was just done quickly um, and I think that was that was a quite an, a feel good factor of that 
people got on and did the jobs really well uh, and they did it together. And I think that's, whilst that was evident evident during that period, I think it, it does show signs of, of a good team before that, like our science and medicine team and, and some of the work that, that Jav's done and myself and Steve and Tom Sturdy have done around developing it like a, a team ethics and, and team spirit and how we work together in a code of conduct. Whilst that's all well and good when things are nice and easy, like that, that really came to the fore in, in terms of that that period where it was difficult. So I think that if you've got a pair of people who can't be asked with other people, or and I'm I'm the SNC guy, I'm just doing squats and picking heavy things off the floor. I'm not bothering anything. like that. That doesn't didn't happen. People were chipping in wherever was required, and I thought that was I thought that was top. Like seeing people genuinely work in an integrated manner um, and enjoying it. That was probably the best part of it. You mentioned about Mark Jarvis. Yep. Right at the start. Where does Mark fit in the in the structure? And how did his his influence and other guys in the medics as well yeah. help this process, the, the COVID process? Yeah, I think there's the you also you always need that that person who's not in the shit. Um, <laughs> as in like who's not who's not day-to-day delivering, who, who can see a bigger picture stuff and and has got experience in, in not in, in COVID, but Charles works across a lot of sports and, and dealt with a lot of issues and his ability to, like I say, when he came in, his, his primary effort really was, was best-in-class processes, making sure our processes are good and then having good people working well together. Now, when you get to COVID, we needed really good processes and we needed good people working together. So I think in terms of that, is coming in and help develop that when, like I say, my, my role in terms of a head of department whilst delivering is nice. It doesn't afford you that time to sometimes step back and look at where where are the problems in terms of processes, where are the problems, where communication breaking down, how can we inform that better? And also have some of the conversations that the might be more difficult when you work day-to-day with someone. It's the mm-hmm. same like with my academy staff. It's easier sometimes for me to go and speak with their coaches on, on certain matters because they need to, like, they can't afford a day where they're falling out, where I can fall yeah. out with them for a day. It doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess in, in that scenario, it is over there. And then uh, it's like we're name-dropping, but, like, all the staff are brilliant. Like, I can't name all of them. They're probably all, they're probably all turned off now 20 minutes in. Um, <laughs> But they'll, uh, yeah, they, they were all, like all the medical staff, all the, science, the sports science staff were were top top draw through it. And I think the the players actually, you don't always get a thank you from players, but and some of the players you never get one. But they were they were pretty impressed as well with the support that they got. So um, if your like your stakeholders are the players and the coaches, and they were happy, then we've probably done a decent job. Mm-hmm. You've talked about your staff actually dealing with this situation yeah. but we spoke off air just about the amount of webinars and all that kind of thing that were going on how did the staff deal with it from a I suppose a personal and balancing that personal time the career time of what of, of an uncertain the uncertainty of it and maybe feeling pressured into doing all these webinars and getting involved in all these things and zoom calls and chats and this that and the other how did they find that was that something that do you think was a positive that's come out of this? Did it become a little bit overwhelming potentially? I think the like the nature of people that work in our line of work are they're flat out most like they generally enjoy being busy and being flat out, and you've all of a sudden you've you've had that taken away from you, and so they've kind of they went from being flat out delivering and coaching and doing what they're doing to being flat out learning. Um, so I I had to speak with them. I was kind of conscious of it. You, you don't want to discourage learning. But you don't want to discourage, like, it needs to be learning with a purpose. So, like, they've all got the development plans, individual development plans is the base around that. Um, but we kind of stripped that back again. And I was like, yeah, you, so pick one of them. Like, I don't know what one element of, might be a, a technical aspect, it might be speed, it might be something around lifting, it might be around programming, whatever it is. You can do that. You have to have something on there on that development plan that is, is fun related. So, if that is learning to do something, learn a language, I don't know take up everyone took up cycling and running didn't they like yeah. um, everyone went from the gym like they all become 10k 10k exhibitionists so um just making sure that they they had that i think whilst again i'm in my role i was really fortunate and, and the first team staff were fortunate that whilst we were 
at home for a period, we were we were really busy, and there was a there was a an end in sight. Like our academy staff, like twenty ones down, they were kind of had the rug pulled from under them, and it was there was like a like when when is this coming back? They didn't have that three week block. They didn't know how long they were doing it for. Um, so it was just a case of of trying to make sure that there was directed learning, but also like I said off offline earlier, like we're working in a pretty attritional industry. Like take this time to have some fun just to relax to to do stuff that you wouldn't ordinarily do and and that's fine because um basically it was what what can you do now to influence your players right now and um, what can you do to make sure like when you come back things will be better now one of those things might be just having more energy because you've actually had a block of time off um Oh, you might have learned something new that isn't to do with that, which you can then, when we come back, allows you to get more energy to deliver to players when you're busy again. So it was just trying to get that into them. And and they've had it tough in the fact that, again, like I say, they're all delivering. They've only just started coming back. Like We've been back for months now, and it's we're, we've been real fortunate in that we can come in and do our jobs. And for, well, since, when was it, May, May time, like yeah, we haven't really been affected, whereas they have, and I feel... That it's good that they're now back on the ground and and coaching and delivering because it's not the same like oh we'll, we'll do deliveries over Zoom like they 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 deal with people like they don't deal with screens um, so it's it's nice that they're they're back and, and back and delivering now but yeah it's important just that they whilst don't go wrong some of them were brilliant weren't they like some of them webinars were out oh, brilliant like yeah, the speakers some of the content uh, some of them were shite mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was just picking and choosing rather than like going, oh, I'm going to do this one and it's in Australia and I'm going to stay up all night. I'm like, is that the best choice for you? Like, yeah. can you get a recording? Can you watch it later? Um, but no, they've done a good job. Like they've, they've kept the academy boys engaged and going and, and uh, yeah, like I say, they're, they're buzzing to be back, back in the training ground now. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Alec. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, we discuss speed training in team sports and a bit of reflection on the presentation that Alec and Matt gave for Altis in their virtual conference during lockdown. Then we finish off with some reflections again from Alec on what universities can do better to prepare students for the world of high-performance sport. And is it as bad as people say? I'm not quite sure. Uh, Alec gives his reflections on on that, given the um, the interns uh, and different students that come through Southampton. So, really interesting part two coming up. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Output Sport, a Swiss Army knife for optimizing off-field performance. So Output Sports have developed a one-stop portable tool for comprehensive, valid and reliable athlete assessment. So for the first time ever, you can access metrics such as jump height, barbell velocity, Nordics and speed agility all with the single wearable sensor. So Output brings unparalleled efficiency to athlete testing to allow sports organisations, performance centres, teams and athletes to make data-driven decisions. So this technology has originated from eight years of research and co-developed with over 40 sporting partners across the globe. You can learn more about Output on OutputSports.com or follow them on social media at OutputSports where you can also schedule a demo. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by AthleteMonitoring.com, the world's most comprehensive, versatile and cost-effective athlete health and performance management platform for elite sports. So AthleteMonitoring.com is trusted by top development programs, universities, professional teams, Olympic programs, national sports organisations and research institutes worldwide. It streamlines data collection, centralizes the management of wellness, training and performance, medical and testing, and administrative data. It also simplifies the interpretation with best practice analytics and evidence-based methods to optimize performance and reduce injury risk. So with all these features on a single platform, AthleteMonitoring.com seamlessly brings key stakeholders together to build healthier athletes, more efficient organizations, and long-lasting successes. To see what AthleteMonitoring.com can do for you, visit AthleteMonitoring.com and schedule a free demo, or follow them on Twitter at AthleteMonitor. 
This episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave, which is the only non-invasive, at-rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. So using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and this optimize performance. Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position and this data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement only takes four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our windows of trainability concept. Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sport athletes, military and law enforcement agencies. They are also an official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. So to learn more about Omega Wave, visit their website, omegawave.com, or visit their social media channels. One online conference that wasn't shy was the one that you did with Altis. Apart from my, my, my other. <laughs> <laughs> who, who did you do it with? Matt? Was it Matt? Says, yeah, I did it with Matt Says. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'd like to touch on that if that's all right. Yeah, that's all right, yeah. It was, it was around speed trending football. Yeah. Would you be able to give us a bit of a overview of your of the potentially the clubs, departments, philosophy, or thought, general thoughts when it comes to speed training in your environment? And has that it'd be interesting, has that changed over the seven years that you've been there? Obviously you're in the academy, so maybe slightly different to first team, but maybe first in the first team environment, how that's changed and how potentially was it influenced by previous uh, experience in different sports? interesting to get your thoughts on that i think there's um so first of all the other thing was really good it was it was actually one of the most intimidating things i've done because i, I was making about something that isn't necessarily my area it's not my area of expertise like i've got staff that are here that deliver that because they're better at it than i am um and obviously you've got people who've been on your podcast like they're experts in speed and we kind of try and pick bits of that and put it in our setting um so essentially we were just trying to explain how how we deliver it. So I'll talk about what we do now um, and then I'll talk about what's maybe changed from, from what we've done in the past. So um, first and foremost, we know that speed's massively important for football. Um, it's, it's whilst we don't get hit maximum speed a lot of the time, when we do hit it, it's, obviously, it's often in game-defining moments, whether that be scoring a goal or preventing a goal. Um, so first and foremost, that's important. Our current manager that's one of his key things for him. Like he wants people that are quick and can repeat, um, can repeat that. Um, so obviously in our role, in order, we're supporting performance in matches, we're supporting training. That also then, even though it already was, needs to be high up our order of importance. Um, and also when we've looked at, from a, from I guess from an academy perspective, whilst fitness testing isn't a precursor to progression through an academy, pretty much the one physical element that does dictate with the players that progress and the ones that don't is often speed. So from that element as well, it is obviously important for us to, to train that. Um, so in terms of, of how we do that, we we don't have, like you know, we don't have pre-seasons where you have big speed blocks. We don't have time in the week where we can necessarily put in what, what would be a traditional track and field speed session. Um, but we put elements in there. Um, so in terms of 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 speed, there's there's a there's a couple of things that that we look at. Um, we'll talk about mechanics first because that's the key one at the minute. People mm-hmm. do and don't do them, and why they do and don't do them. We do look at mechanics. We probably don't drill them in the same way that that track and field coaches might drill them. Um, we probably go down more of a constraints based learning approach in terms of if we're looking at front side mechanics, how can we just space discs out in order to encourage that front side mechanics. Um, so we, we'll drill them with that. We, we do A skips, B skips, same as other people do. Um, we find that players don't necessarily engage or are overly interested in that element of it. Um, if we put in a constraints-based learning, it, it will, uh, it, it does get a little bit more engagement. Um, so we have elements of that. Um, we do look at things like like pelvic positions is important for speed. Like how do we encourage that with wall drills as part of our pre-ab or pre-ab? So that's part of our sessions. And um, we'll work the physios work in terms of that pelvic alignment as well and movement and, and how that's controlled. 
um, things like ankle stiffness, reactivities come through our warm-ups um, and through some of our gym-based programming as well. So there's elements throughout a week that would look like speed training, but we don't necessarily have speed sessions. Um, reason we do that, A, it's, it's performance-based, but also it, it comes with an injury reduction element as well. Like they have to sprint, you have to do it properly. If we can do that more efficiently, it becomes more important. Um in terms of, in our opinion, in terms of, of that uh, reduction of, of injury risk. Um, so it is important, first and foremost. Previously, uh, I'll go back to what we did, we would have done it quite in isolation. So yes, we have gym base, we get them strong, and our transfer of that would be we just get them to sprint. Um, now that's changed a little bit, I guess more a, from a philosophical perspective, but I've been here longer and I've I've been around coaches longer and that element now is how can I, I encourage that through drills. So how can we get training to allow that element in there? Um, sometimes that happens naturally. Sometimes I have to encourage that, whether that be a pitch size or, or a type of drill or a type of exercise, um, whether that be a phase of play, a transition drill, might be a finishing drill. How can like the, the initiation of sprint and the distance of sprint, how can we work with coaches to do that? So it is that, that game, game speed and game based approach, if you like, um, so it's how we design our pitch-based sessions to elicit that, that speed element and how do we get appropriate off-pitch sessions in order to sort of develop force um, and the ability to express force and then how we transfer that onto pitch is kind of our, our two main main areas. I don't want you to mention any names or put you in a situation you don't want to be in, but when it comes to coaches and, and doing that, what you just mentioned there, as yeah. in um, influencing what goes on in their potential technical, not maybe not tactical, but technical sessions, like a finishing drill, yeah. has your ability, has it become easier for you with more modern coaches, not newer coaches, because they're more switched on to that type of thing rather than seven, eight, nine years ago when that may not have been the case? Maybe think, my modern education, coach education. I think there's, I think the, there's an element of that. I'll, I'll take it back. There's a bit of, so our job is. So let's start, strip it back a little bit. Our job is: can we, can our players play how the manager wants them to play? Fundamentally, he wants them to play like this. We've got a manager at the minute that needs them to sprint more. So training, we we can encourage that. The level below that is. Do we train how, how he wants them to play? And that isn't always the case. So there have been times where at the minute, so at the minute we, we train quite closely to how we play in terms of intensity, in terms of like metrics, however you want to call it. Like it looks like when you watch training and you watch a match, it looks similar. Like you can see where the transit sometimes you've got we want to play like this, but training looks like this. Like whether that's intensity, whether that's like, like say, extensive nature in terms of high-speed running sprint distance. We don't do anything during the week. But on a weekend, we're looking at match stats and going, well, we don't do this, we don't do that. That might be set up a team. Like, it could be it could be system, it could be style of play, it could be if we're sitting in a deep block, 5 four, one we're not going to sprint about too much. If we're pressing high up, you're going to sprint a bit more. Um, so the element from then is, all right, if we're not going to train how you want them to play, can I try and encourage that coaching element? Now, some of them are better at, at developing and devising drills. They're all better than they are, and I am. But in terms of um, replicating how they want to play, some of them don't necessarily know that. So having someone like me to go, actually, you do know that if we did it like this, it would help us playing a little bit more like this. Sometimes they don't actually know. Um, sometimes they don't want to know. Um, but then if in order to get that element you need to have trust you need to have a relationship and unfortunately in our line of work whether it's a new coach on a new style of learning or an old coach on an old style of learning unfortunately they don't always have the opportunity to hang around too much like it takes time to build trust like if you've got a player if you work with a player for five years like i know a conversation with a player i've had for five years is better more effective and more efficient than one i've had a conversation with a player we've had for one year or less than one year. It's the same with coaches. Like, there's also a, when you work in this environment, coaches have a, a certain type of session and drills and things that are probably quite consistent. Once in my role, I get an idea of what that is. It's easy to tweak that a little bit. Or like the six goal game and this pitch size is really good. Could we make it a little bit bigger or could we put this rule in? 
um, and this is why. But if you don't know what that session is, you kind of need to sit and wait for a little bit until you understand what, where the session's going. All the other side to that is that if that doesn't get there, then you need to do that, that top-up work or that condition on the side. Now, whilst that might look the same on a GPS report, all right, we've got a 1,000 metres of ice cream running, you can get that in eight minutes, whereas in a game it comes in nine minutes. It's not the same. Um, so preference is always to do it via the game and through the coaches, but you don't always have that time. And also, they also sometimes don't care. Um, so then sometimes you just need to put it in on the side and, as, as something else. So um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's because new coaches and new learning, but there's a few different reasons for, for why that is the case. There's a lot of talk around communication and communication styles. And I know it's often quite a fluffy, something that can't really be communicated very well, ironically. Yeah. How has your style changed over time working with coaches, given that short-term mentality as well? Not just a mentality, but short-term, yeah. you know, that, that's just the, the nature of the beast. I think there's... I think rather than focusing on coaches, I focus on myself rather than coaches because I think that's probably a bit easier. That like, if I think of myself five years ago, I fell out with a coach because I was just like, I was just bullying a China shop direct. Your training is this. This is what we need to do. Why aren't we doing it? Like, it, I couldn't in my own mind. Well, it's obvious, isn't it? Like, that's not that. <laughs> so um, that was a head coach. That was a head coach. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and at the time, it was so head coach, assistant coach, and one of. Um, he would have been the uh, another member of the coaching who was more fitness related at the time, um, and I was just bullying trying to that's wrong, that's right, that's wrong. And that's probably about the last time I did a podcast for you. And it's it's not as black and white as that. Like it's it's probably one of the things that that's probably immature, really. And, and one of the things I see in my now like more junior members of staff, I think that's not like it isn't black or white, it isn't right or wrong. There's just shades of differences. Um, so. Not that I'm any less like upfront. I'll be I'll be straight and honest. But I probably got a better awareness of where they're coming from. Like, I actually spend a bit more time trying to understand, like wh what are they actually trying to achieve and how can I impact that. Rather than at the time, I was probably thinking, what am I trying to achieve? And yeah, they've got their bit and I've got my bit. Whereas it, it, I'm probably a lot more collective in that approach. In terms of communication, again, once you know people over time, you know like the certain. It's like, I don't know, your missus or your mates. There's certain times in the day when you don't want to talk about certain things. There's certain ways that you want that information. You've got um, a coach now who, uh, like, in terms of preparing numbers for a week, a phone call on a Sunday, in a general gist of what we need on the week and what we need on what days and who might need a little bit more and less is fine. Whereas some might want, like, peace and more document of a PDF, like, with all the numbers and reports. Like that's my job to find out what they want and what they need uh, and adapt to that rather than me going, well, I've told them, so they should know, um, which that was maybe five or six years ago. To be fair, it could be me on a bad day. Um, but it's, yeah, having that, taking that time to understand what information is required and how people want to receive that. That's key to anything, though. That's not just working with the manager. That's key to working with any of my staff. It's key, like, understanding... Whilst it is fluffy, um, um, I think Madden will be on it. He's not a big fan of that. But it is important in this environment. It's important. Um, but I think within that and, and something I spoke about development plans, one of mine is like, you still need to maintain true to yourself. Like I have to be, because my go-to is to be just straight up front and honest and blunt, I have to try and temper that. But there's times when that is required. You just know need to know when that is and, and when the best time to deliver that is because... Like if you, this is stressful enough work as it is, industry as it is, you can't then pretend to be someone else for, for the duration of it when you're having conversations and, and sometimes it is up to you and and like you'll see medical guys on the on the Tottenham show, like it's up to them to deliver bad news and sometimes you've just got to front up and, and say how it is. Um, but yeah, having having a better awareness of how and when people receive information is probably key. Just one more question on the sprint stuff. Yeah. One thing you mentioned on the, the presentation was individualizing repeat sprint ability. Yeah. I think well, I hadn't spoke about this particular topic. And ironically, Marden may have been the one that um, I spoke about it with. Yeah. But how do you go about that? I know you mentioned how important it is for the manager, but how do you go about influencing that 
maybe a so, lot of the same things you would do you mentioned yeah, previously. Yeah, but you, so let's take uh, let's take our fast one of our fastest players. So we we got a super fast player, uh, fastest in us squad fast one of the fastest in in the league um we've still got limited time with that player in terms of that speed development um but whilst everyone will have the the generic um drills and 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 constraints based learning and and some of the wall drills and he'll have more specific work around that so he'll have more work around trunk capacity he'll have more work around uh ankle stiffness more work around uh pelvic control um because those things being really fast is really important for him. So if we're looking at like whilst everyone's got individual programs, in reality, a lot of people's programs quite generic with little things that are different. So his thing will be more towards sprint. He's, for instance, we'll we have sent him up with Bill uh, Bill Styles to Jonas because like Jonas is better than we are at, at delivering that. Mm-hmm. We need to go and use that asset because that's that's key for him. So if we've got he is more directed in that element. So more elements of our training would be pitched at someone who can sprint like that. Um, also, we, we've looked to push his max speed as much as possible. We've got that speed reserve. So then if he's working just under that, it's not taking as much out of him. Um, so he can repeat that more effectively. We've got other players um, to say, a uh, player in midfield, um, not not as quick, but can do like his max speed isn't super quick. It's fastish. Otherwise you don't play in the Premier League, um, but he can do that all the time. Um, so there's things of around his programming. Uh, he might have more aerobic based training. We're not going to spend as much time on, on like max speed or sprint mechanics or front side, not as much because it's not as important for him. Whilst it is important, it's not as important. Um, so it, it, even things like, from a nutritional perspective, like like we might have beta alanine as part of his program, repeat sprintability, like it's part of his his program, his work, rather than someone who doesn't necessarily do that as much. Um, so it's in effect, you just need it's just an acknowledgement that everyone repeatedly sprints, but some of the people in our squad are really fast and sprint a lot, and they might not repeat it quite as quickly. And we've got some people in our squad who aren't as quick but do it quite a lot. And ultimately, there's an acknowledgement that those people need different things in their training uh, from a, a gym-based perspective as well. You've got players that uh, you might be quite – so our, our repeat sprint ability, the guy who does it a lot but isn't that fast, like he's gym gym strong, but like he might just need more stuff on, on transfer, so like like more more sled work or prowler work or in order to, to accelerate quicker. Because like he's he's strong, but he, he can't translate that to on pitch stuff. So his program in the gym might be slightly different to the to the speed guy. So it's just an acknowledgement that people they all do it, but they do it in slightly different ways. Therefore, their training needs to be slightly different as well. Mm-hmm. Cool. Changing tack completely. One Here thing I go. know that is an interesting one for you is advice for young practitioners or any practitioners, yeah. and just getting a bit of your thoughts on the university world versus the applied world and you've been here a little bit at Hartbury of course so you've got first-hand experience although a little bit ago what's your what's your thoughts on that what can having young practitioners come into the club and they're at the stages of their development maybe you have interns or assistants or whatever it may be what what do you think universities can do better and are they giving you what you want as a as an elite football club? So it's an interesting one because there's always hot, hot debate. It's, it's like the, uh, not in our club, but other clubs, it's the equivalent of like when they sign a player, if, if they're not good, the coaches blame recruitment and then like recruitment blame the coaches because they were good when they got there and now they're not good. It's like the <laughs> educational equivalent of that. Um, so I, what I would say is having worked in both and I, I mean, I was on it Harbour for 18 months. I did a little bit of part-time lecture at Leeds Met back in the day as well. What you'll find, uh, and the crux of the argument, is that a lot of university lecturers know the system isn't great. But if you've ever worked in a university, you are tied up in knots in paperwork that doesn't actually allow you to, to do the teaching or to sort out a program. Like, uh, to re- when I went into Hartbury, I wanted to rewrite it. Having worked in industry, you can see some of the modules, some of the elements weren't 
in my opinion, weren't applicable to what they needed to go and do. But it took me 18 months to change one module or two modules. Like it takes that long to get going. So I, I don't think there's the staff that, that don't acknowledge that. There's also an element of, I'll start supporting the universities initially, is that like if you've got, I don't know, 150 students, like you can't, there's only, you've got a certain amount of coaches, uh, of, of lecturers, you have generic modules. You'll have modules where people from other programs are on it and, and there's a base level of learning. It isn't the bespoke learning that you might get in an, in an applied environment, a replacement. Now, whilst everyone's saying everyone should do replacements part as an undergrad, you also can't place that many students unless people in industry take them up. So if you say, uh, as part of your degree, you'll do a placement, that's not the student's responsibility to find it then, it's the program's responsibility. Now, you're already tied up in paperwork, you've got loads of students, you've got marked dissertations, you've got to do research to get your funding, even though you really just want to teach because you want really good practitioners coming, but you've got to do research for your money. You haven't got time to be sourcing that many placements and then dealing and supporting. So I, I think there's there's a, an element of supply and demand issues there um, that, that that do fund a problem, that, that do find a problem with that. Um, that being said, in terms of supporting the universities, I actually, uh, I've got two people uh, here that were at Hartbury when I was there. I only taught one of them, I didn't teach the other one. Um, and for all people saying universities are crap and they're not good and the course is not good, everyone that I work with that's really good went to a university. Like, they all went to a university. They all did an undergrad in sports science, strength, conditioning, or physio, whatever it was, and they've turned out all right. So to everyone, so all of a sudden we're going, ah, oh, they're shit, their programs are rubbish, they don't teach you anything. Well, they must have done at some point because the people that are now saying they were shit have progressed from that point. So they can't be all bad. Now, whilst there's room for improvement, there's elements that, that people maybe don't understand uh, that, that stop that. There's, I think it's a little bit unfair. There's also a bit of, of it's horses per course. And you look at a sports science course uh, or an SSC course, they're not all the same. So rather than saying they're all rubbish, like the, the sports science programs are crap, they don't prepare you for anything. Like, it depends what you're preparing them for. If you're like, a, I've, got two, I've got two members of staff in my first team from Birmingham University, so I'm not hammering Birmingham University, but they're quite an academic place. Like, they, they're producing people to do PhDs to get research funded in, by and large, because that's what makes them the money to, to carry on going, like, is research. So they're, they're going to have a program that, that gets real academic smartheads to do research. They're not, they're not necessarily designing a program for people to go out and coach. Hartbury are probably a smaller institution, more hands-on. They're probably preparing vocational people to go and coach. So rather than going sports science coach, uh, sports science degrees are crap, SNC courses are crap, they're not. Like the, there's some real good ones. Like you look at the SNC ones at Middlesex, St. Mary's, like Cov. They're, they're like good courses. We've I've missed some out there. So, but with really like <laughs> not exclusively yeah. really experienced staff that have done a lot of research and done a lot of coaching. Um, so like up at Leeds Met now, like the, the car research group up there, Ben Jones and Tilly and all them, they're like smart cookies that are, that deliver and they deliver to students. They can't all be that bad. Um, but what I would say is over time, you would encourage them to try and get rid of some of the, the crap that's on them courses. Um, but then having said that, I've, I've taught so having taught that, I've, if you've got first years who've got no basic grasp of biology or physiology, it's pretty hard to start talking about any complicated um, like training prescription or, or response to training if you haven't got like a bare minimum of what's cardiac output and stroke volume. Like it's real difficult to get that. Um, and again, over a three year period, they might be at university for three years, but the way it's set up, like how many hours of teaching do you actually get? Like I think it's like eight between eight and twelve hours a week for twelve weeks, twice a year, and then you're on or off again. It's like it's not actually that much contact time. So I think what I would say is, is whilst not hammering that, trying to encourage and trying to offer opportunities for people to do more is probably the best thing that they can do. So yes, this is your course. Is there anything you can help out with? Like I've a sample of of n equals one. It was just me when I was at uni. I, I coached the rugby league team, the second team, because it was coaching. It was doing what I wanted to do. Um, so there's element, there's loads of opportunities like that to develop. Um, so yeah, I'd encourage them to try and get rid of some of that crap where they can. 
And also, this would probably tee myself up for a job when I finished here, but <laughs> if you... to me or, or this type of work to go back and work in those institutions like the fundamental issue like I would go and lecture when I finished here if I knew I was teaching uh, practical applied modules for people who wanted to be there and I was teaching non-practical non-applied modules for people who just fancied to do a bit of sport for three years um, it isn't it isn't great but also there's like I said there's that pressure to do research I don't want to go and do research like, I don't want to go and work in university if that's what I've got to do I want to go and work in university because I want to teach and I want to help people go and do that job so again that's not people who, who put on the programs in university that's kind of people above them and in terms of funding and, and recognizing that it's 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 a role that it's a vocational role and it, it needs to be to be treated as such in the same way that nursing physio and placement so so it can be done so people in work need to accept people on on those placements and welcome them in with an acknowledgement that they aren't going to be top dog like again that's one where our students are coming and, and they haven't got this this skill set like i said earlier i did a the podcast five years ago and i'd already been working in sport seven years and some of the things i've said then I'm, well, I look back and think that is shit <laughs> like, you need to give them a bit of a break like they've had three years of study um, they're not going to know everything you need to have like you need to allow for that like what when we come in I'd say we get second year so we have interns during their undergraduates we have six years six or seven a year between their second and third year and they are brilliant like they are they come in we've got some in now in COVID they've been in for four weeks and they don't know everything, but they want to learn. The keen is mustard, and they ask good questions. That'll get you somewhere. Like that'll get them somewhere. And at the end of the year, they'll probably be in a really good position to go back and and teach some of the lecturers some decent stuff. Um, but I think that that expectation is in the same way that I'm a coach to players. I'm a coach to members of staff. I don't expect them to come as a polished diamond after three years or three years in a masters and be able to know how to to deal with a manager and deliver bad news, how to to implement a games-based approach to speed training, how to program in the gym, how to deal with COVID. Like that comes with experience. It's the same way as if you're a teacher, you're a newly qualified teacher. I'm pretty sure that 10 years down the line, you're a better teacher than you were when you started. You're a better doctor than when you started. Like people who are hammering graduates, yeah, some of the courses aren't great. Some of them are brilliant but they're not going to know everything. Set your standards to accept that when a 17-year-old comes into the first team, he's probably going to be weak as piss. He probably ain't going to be overly strong and fit, and he's technically probably not going to be quite as good as the other players. That's our job to make them better. The same way as someone coming out of university isn't going to be able to programme, isn't going to be able to deal with coaches. That's our job to make them better. I guess that's my, my piece on that. Nice, nice. So one last thing I want to ask you. Something that's been in a football club, in the role you've had for five years, plus the two in the academy. Yeah. 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 That's probably good going for for a person of that level, would you say? Anything that's quite a long tenure, normal kind of tenure? I think, I don't know. Yeah, but it probably is long. It probably is relatively long. If you look around the league, there's not, it's probably Nath over at Tottenham and, I'm not sure. I'm not, I wouldn't know too many of the others. Jamie up at Newcastle has been there a while. Yes, yeah. But let, let's say let's say it's above average yeah. in the in the in the grand scheme of things. What do you think has allowed you to to not only get the job but keep that job at Southampton? Good luck and good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I think it's where. You, no one's ever asked me that, and I've never really asked it myself. So it's a, it's a bit of a question. Well, I've, uh, I think it's because you need to be flexible. You need to be agile. I think I've learned from from my mistakes, like like we talked about before, being mm. direct, straight. Probably not the best way to go. I've had really good mentors within the club and outside of the club. Like there's been times where I've just thought I'm going to jack it in here. Um, I think there's. So in that way, I've had that support inside the club when things aren't going well. Um, I think there's there's also an element of um, 
it's not always one way. Like there's there's opportunities. There has been opportunities to go elsewhere, uh, but I quite like it here. Like, I like I like living here. I like working here. I like the challenge of the job. But I think there's there's elements of say maybe I don't know four or five years ago where I wasn't doing that. You need to look after yourself a bit as well. Like that's one of the key messages for the for practitioners is yeah that you do well to to stay around that long, but in order to do that, you need to to bring some energy. You need to be bring good ideas and that comes from looking after yourself outside of work now it, don't get me wrong we we're on a great great German model we're in on Sundays so Monday's your day off and if you've not done that before there's not many people with Monday off oh, there's, everyone's <laughs> gone, but, um, but just to try and find time for, for things outside that's important but yeah good good staff as well I've I've been fortunate to work alongside and recruit some really good staff um, who over a period of time, tend to make you look good even when you're not. Um, like I've got some of my first, like I've got Laura, um, Bill and Bill Styles and, and Banco on the first team, but like top top guys, uh, top practitioners. Same in the academy, we've got Sam Scott running like the, the schoolboy phase down there, top practitioners. So I think if you recruit recruit good staff and give them some space to grow and, and develop, that affords you the license to to look good from their behalf. Um, but also means that you, I can continue to, to balance and manage both jobs effectively because you've got people that, that can do the day-to-day stuff. Um, yeah, and I guess being lucky, like if we'd not scored that goal at Swansea and we got relegated, who knows who knows where we'd have been at? Like there's there's we've we've survived by the skin of our teeth over that last five years. We got beat nine 0 last year. If you hadn't heard, uh, it gets, gets yes. mentioned every couple of times. So. <laughs> There's, don't get me wrong. There's a, there's there's a massive element of luck in that as well. Like is it would have been very easy to to not be that, and that's why like I said I'm really fortunate to do my job. There's really good practitioners that have not been as fortunate just because of circumstances, um, and and nothing to do with with how they've actually done their job. So I guess in that respect, that being a, a club that actually acknowledges what backroom staff offer to players and to coaches is is pretty good as well. And that's that doesn't happen at a lot of clubs at all think. Cool. Well I've kept you over an hour. Where can people get in touch? Keep um, updated what you've got going on. Social media? Any Yeah, I've got what am I at? Let me just check. I think at Alec Gross on Twitter. Uh, and that's pretty much it. I don't do anything else. I don't do cool. any of the stuff. So yeah, uh, five months where I'll, I'll be on there. Um, you send me messages on that. I, I tend to get back to people who've got any questions. Um, again, young old practitioners. It's nice, nice to to chat to people from time to time. So find me on there if you've got any questions. Shoot them over. Perfect. Thank you very much. And we'll let you get out of the office and get home. Cheers, Rob. Cheers, pal. Thanks for coming back on. Cheers, mate. No worries. Ta-da. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Alec. Big thanks to Alec for giving up his time during the very busy uh, start of the season. So I was pestering him soon as the uh, soon as the season kicked off, which wasn't ideal timing. But thank you for giving up his time uh, to, to come on the podcast for a part two. Also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, to I Measure You, athletemonitoring.com, Omega Wave and Output Sports for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run its current form without these guys, so I really appreciate their ongoing support. Also, thanks to your ongoing for your ongoing support as well. Really appreciate it, and I will chat to you next week.